If you would take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 2 and turn to verse 14, Revelation 2. Tony, that's the very last book in the Bible. That's the very last book in the Bible. Just thought I'd let you know. No compromise. Four months ago, late October 2021, in Laos, which is near Thailand and Vietnam, police announced to six villages that Christians are not allowed to share about Jesus Christ and that children younger than 17 are not allowed to believe in Jesus. The officers took pictures of every known believer in the village. Can you imagine what that would be like? The officers took pictures of every known believer in each village and examined their homes taking down any crosses hanging on the walls. The police also warned villagers that Christians are not to worship or even gather in groups of more than five people. If they do, they could be nailed on their hands and feet or shot to death. In one village, a 14-year-old boy named Kanoa was detained and threatened with prison if he continued to go to church and worship Jesus. Now that story and this story are both in Voice of the Martyrs, and if you email me, my email address is on the bulletin, I will send you the link for this article. In Nigeria, Western Africa, despite being threatened with death and disowned by family members, Dewo was determined to share the gospel with the Fulani people. And his determination hasn't wavered since losing his brother. The day after Dewo's cousin burned Dewo's Bible and kicked him out of the house, Twenty young men surrounded the new believer, wrestled him to the ground, and tied his hands and feet together with a rope. When he had placed his faith in Christ three days earlier, he couldn't have imagined that, he, that what he was about to endure would change so much for so many. The young men who bound Dewo head and foot feared that he might lead others away from Islam. Therefore, they decided to eliminate the threat. I'm not afraid to die now, Dewo told them. 
when he learned of their intentions. I saw where I am going, so I am happy to leave this body. Just cut my neck. Final act, I'm gone. I'm afraid only that you can't get a chance to have the salvation I have. A crowd gathered to watch as one of the men holding Dewo began to cut the side of his head with a knife. Just then, a police van pulled up and everyone scattered, leaving Dewo alone, bound and wounded. Would you bow your head, please? If you agree with the prayer that I'm going to pray, then you can say it to yourself, I mean, to God, just silently. Heck, you can say it out loud if you want. If you agree with it, then just tell God you agree. Father, may I never compromise when it comes to standing for you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus speaks to the Christians in the city of Pergamum. This is the third of seven letters that Jesus dictates to John the Apostle in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 2, verse 12, Jesus speaks. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. And that's Jesus referring to himself. I know where you live, and he says to the Pergamum Christians, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet... You remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Though you and I may not experience persecution like the Christians in Laos, like Dewo, in Nigeria and like the Christians in Pergamum everything all the time is not exactly as we like is it? How do we respond in times of crisis? How do we respond when we are tempted to compromise our faith? How do we respond when we know we should say something, but we know at the same time that if we say something, that saying something is probably going to get us in trouble because we're standing for Jesus? Do we then remain silent or do we go ahead and speak anyway? I have two questions. Question number one. Do you think 
God's angels are here with us in this room and with you watching at home, do you think the angels are here? Yeah, there's a yes. Okay, question number two. Do you think Satan's crew are here with us in this room and with you watching at home? I think the answer to both of these questions is yes. I believe angels are here because Hebrews 1.14 are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Now I don't think that's the only way that angels help us but I think that's one way that angels help us by being in here to help us to, to stand and to fight against our enemies. And why wouldn't Satan's soldiers be in here whenever we come to get closer to God and God is here and his spirit is moving and wanting to draw us? Why would not Satan and his crew want to stop us from participating in the Lord's Supper, participating in prayer, participating in learning about God, participating in worship. Why would not Satan's people be here wanting to stop us from getting closer to God? Jesus knows when you and I are tempted to compromise. And he expects us in those times for us to remain strong even though we find it hard to think we can withstand those temptations. At those times particularly when we are weak, Jesus wants us to rely on him and to have our weakness to be an opportunity when he can be strong through us. The Apostle Paul asked God three times to remove something from him. It was some kind of hardship. It was some kind of physical malady or whatever. And the Apostle Paul asked God three times to remove this from him. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 12, this is what happened. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Paul pleaded. Now, Paul is not your average run-of-the-mill slacker Christian. I mean, he's Paul the Apostle. And he pleaded with God three times to remove this from him. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And God told him no. He told him no. And after God said no, what was Paul's response? How was he going to live from now on when God told him no? Paul says this, Therefore, 
I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so these five things, weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties, I don't remember the last time I delighted in one of those. That being said, if I had a time machine and I could go back to June the 28th, 2018, and I could remove myself from the dilemma that caused me the problems with this stupid foot, would I do that? Would I go back in time, and would I remove myself from the situation that caused me to have this problem? I don't know that I would. I honestly don't know. Have I enjoyed this whole process? No. I regret the difficulties that it has caused particularly for Rose, my spousal unit, and for my family, and for you, my friends. In spite of all the garbage associated with this, I do see some benefits. And God's grace has been sufficient. Jesus appreciates your faithfulness in all the situations, the weaknesses, the difficulties that come your way. He commends you when you are faithful. In spite of the obstacles that Satan throws in your path, are you making a point to not compromise? In spite of everything that comes your way, are you making a point to not compromise? Jesus continues speaking to the Christians in Pergamum. So in what other areas are they tempted to compromise? They were tempted to compromise on their faith because Antipas was killed as one of the Christians for standing up for Jesus. In what other areas are the Christians in Pergamum tempted to compromise? Revelation 2.14 Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Pause. 
what would it be like if you and Jesus had an appointment and he looked at you and he said those eight words to you? Jesus continues. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak, who was the king of Moab, to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Now, who is Balaam and who is Balak? When, when, when did all this happen? Near the end of the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, Moses has led God's people out of Egypt. And because they would not go in and conquer the promised land immediately as God had planned, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Near the end of this 40-year period of time, they are making progress and getting ready to go into the promised land. Balak, the king of Moab, is afraid, and he sends for uh, a diviner of sorts, a fortune teller by the name of Balaam lives up near the Euphrates River, not near Moab. How Balak heard of him, I have no clue. But he sends emissaries with money to get Balaam to come back. Though Balaam was not a Hebrew prophet, God used Balaam three times specifically, and you can read about this in the book of Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers 22, 23, and 24. And it is an interesting story. But God used Balaam three times to deliver a message from God to Balak, the king of Moab. Balaam, though not a follower of only God and well, anyway, later on, Balaam, who apparently liked money, forgot what God had told him and gave to Balak clues as to how the Israelites could be tempted. They could be tempted by idol worship or anything in front of God and by sexual immorality. I'm thinking the sins of Balaam are alive today in this country. We are tempted to have any number of different things to be our idol and come between us and God. And if we think that sexual sins are not a problem, we've had our heads stuck in the dirt. In addition to Balaam's teaching on those two particular things, Jesus points another area of compromise of the Pergamum Christians, Revelation 2, 15. 
Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, the Nicolaitans, one of the things it seems that they said was that this body, it doesn't matter what you do in it. God is interested in the spirit. And so in this body, you can do anything with this body that you want, and you can still be perfectly all right with God. They don't get that from the Bible. They don't get that from God's teaching at all. But here we have people in the church, those who are following Jesus, are also indulging in the teaching of Balaam and of the Nicolaitans. A word held in high regard in our countries today is tolerance. We are to get along with all people, all beliefs, all lifestyles, all philosophies, all viewpoints. You name it, and we are supposed to tolerate them or whatever. Now, as time has gone on, we are not merely to tolerate other viewpoints, but we are to embrace other viewpoints. Not only are we to embrace viewpoints contrary to Scripture, but we are to champion those viewpoints that are contrary to Scripture. Kind of tough because it's against what God says for us to do that. But in the church in Pergamum, we have Christians who are going along with the teaching of Balaam, which we mentioned, and the Nicolaitans. They're teaching that, and they are going ahead and doing those things. And then there are Christians who may not be involved in doing those things, but they are tolerating other people in the church in doing those clear sins. Jesus is royally ticked. What does that mean for us? What it means for us, as Jesus is wanting people in the church in Pergamum to not tolerate and not put up with the rest of the stuff, does Jesus expect us to love all people? Clearly, he does. But when we love someone does that not mean that we can put up, that we can take what they say or what they do and compare it to what God's Word says? If somebody behaves in a certain way, though we love them, can we not compare what they say and do? Can we not compare that to God's Word and see what is right and what is wrong? We must live up to God's standards. And so Jesus continues speaking to the Christians in Pergamum. Repent, therefore. In other words, stop what you're doing, turn around, quit it. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will come to you. 
and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. In the church in Pergamum, it is quite clear that the Christians are to remove the wrong teaching. And since the other Christians are not removing the wrong teaching, even though they may not be participating in the sins of Balaam and the sins of the Nicolaitans, Jesus expects them to stop the teaching. Can we expect people who are not followers of Jesus to go along with Bible truths? Can we expect people in the world to go along with what the Bible says? We, we cannot because they're not following Jesus. So we can't expect them to do that. But what Jesus is talking about here is people in the church are not going along with God's standards. They are compromising God's standards in the church. So who in the Pergamum church does Jesus say need to repent? Two groups. One group. The ones who are teaching the ways of Balaam and the Nicolaitans and those who are following that teaching. The second group are those who are tolerating that teaching and letting it go throughout the church, even though they themselves are not participating in those sins. Jesus is angry with the sins and with the Christians tolerating the sins in the church. Now, we need to note that when we correct someone, that does not give us a license to be rude or unloving. When we correct a Christian brother or sister, that does not give us the right to be condescending, condescending and condemning. Now, cor correction is to be done in love, but correction is to be done. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, we find Jesus telling us this. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, correction is first done privately. Only if the person does not repent, if they do not change, does it go beyond private. Now, the scripture talks about when we correct someone and they refuse a correction, that we teach them, we, we treat them as a pagan 
or a tax collector. So what does that mean? Did Jesus love pagans and tax collectors? He most assuredly did. And so when someone is disciplined by Christians and they don't comply, we still love them. When Jesus was on the cross and those men were putting the nails in his wrists and his feet, did Jesus still love those men? He most assuredly did. How can we behave any differently than did Jesus? Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. So correction is to be done gently, and the point of correction is to restore. When people have corrected me, I am glad when they have done it with grace and kindness. And so to the Christians in Pergamum, Jesus offers them rewards for their obedience. Revelation 2:17. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. Now, during the time of Moses, when God's people were wandering in the wilderness for almost the 40 years, Manna was the bread-like food that God provided to the Israelites, his people. What is the hidden manna that's spoken of here? I don't know. It's hidden. Sorry. Don't have an idea. But if Jesus is giving it as a reward, it has to be good. He also says, I will also give that person who is victorious a white stone with a new name written on it known only to the one who receives it. Now, is this white stone specifically only to the Christians in the church in Pergamum? I don't know, and I don't think so. Do I know what the white stone and the new name are? I do not. But if the white stone is given to followers of Jesus and it's not just the people in Pergamum, I want one. So how do we get the manna and the white stone? Four things. We listen to Jesus. We take to heart what he says. And then we let God's Spirit apply that truth, what Jesus says, to our lives. And then we change. In other words, we repent. 
we hold on to Jesus and we do not compromise. Do you ever compromise? Would you bow your head, please? Would you like to live a life of no compromise? In all areas of your life, would you like to live a life for Jesus of no compromise? If you would... Go ahead and tell God right now that you would like to do that. You would like to live a life of no compromise. Go ahead and tell him. Going one step further. As a Christian, in your life, is there perhaps a particular area where you're inclined to compromise? but you would really like to no longer compromise there. Is there an area where you're inclined to compromise, but you really would like to no longer compromise there? Tell God that. It's not that he doesn't know, but tell him. Tell him what it is. Ask him for his help. And if you are serious about this and you want his help in this area where you're inclined to compromise, go ahead and tell him right now that you will take the very first step he reveals to you that he wants you to take. And if you said that you wanted that, because God loves you, and if you're serious, He will let you know. If you have never become a Christian, and you would like to do that this morning, you can do that. If you would like to speak with someone about not compromising, or if you want someone to pray with you, or perhaps answer some questions that you have. For those of us in this room, we are doing something different for a time of decision. Rather than stay seated, if you have a decision to make when you leave this room, if you will go right when you get to the lobby and find the next steps sign, you will find someone there waiting for you. And you and those persons, that person, there will be people that can meet you. And you can go and speak privately. Exit the room, turn to your right. Someone will be there by the next steps sign. If you are home and you want to become a Christian, where you want someone to pray with you, if you will contact us with the information that you see on the screen, the email address or the phone number, we will contact you no later than tomorrow. Father in heaven, 
may we not compromise. May we stand for Jesus as he stood for us, as he laid down his life for us. May we live in such a way that we make you proud. May we be faithful to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.